Merry Christmas, everyone, and welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. If you're new, we're glad you're listening in. Let us know that you were here by leaving a comment below. Now, right now, we're in a series called Christmas Promises, but Garrison Keillor feels that we're overthinking it. If you don't know him, he's the creator of the Minnesota radio program, A Prairie Home Companion, and he said this, Although you may decide that instead of Christmas carols, you're going to hold hands and breathe in unison, Christmas will still live deep in the cockles of your heart. It's your brain that sends tears to your eyes when you smell the saffron cookies that your grandmother used to make, or you sing Silent Night. So Christmas is number one, lights, number two, food, number three, song, and number four, being with people you like. And then he ends by saying, you need no more. I think many people agree with him. And maybe you're one of them. Because as more and more people in our society turn from God, the move is to look for secular alternatives to religious practices. So first they tried to turn Merry Christmas into Happy Holidays. But then they realized they could just keep Merry Christmas and redefine it without Jesus. If you've got the lights, the food, the songs, the people, you've got all you need. Well, this morning, I want to persuade you otherwise. I want to convince you from Scripture that the promises of God that are fulfilled in Jesus Christ are what make Christmas worth celebrating. Today, I want you to consider the promise of good news. The good news that was made through the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. It's a promise that was made to Israel as it would enter into a period of exile in Babylon. It was a promise of hope that they would cling to as they struggled with painful circumstances and great loss. Uh, the promise comes in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 4. And so if you don't have a Bible, pause the video, grab one so that you can follow along. Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. This is the word of God. Now, if you look at the opening words of verse 1, the speaker says that the Spirit of God is on him, and he has been anointed by the Lord. That word anointed is the Hebrew word Mashiach, or in English, Messiah. So Isaiah is here given a vision of the Messiah, the, the Savior that was promised in the Old Testament. And it reveals three things that he'll do. These three promises gave the Israelites hope as they waited for his coming. 
and they show us why Jesus is so central to a real celebration of Christmas. Let's look at them in turn. The first is the promise of good news. At the heart of this promise of the Messiah's coming is an announcement of something amazing that God will do. Christmas is the promise of good news. Now, when you read the words good news here in verse 1, it's important to hear who those words of promise are given to. Good news is given to the poor. The Messiah is said to bind up the brokenhearted. And he's announcing freedom for the captives and an opening of the prison so that those inside might be released. You might get the impression, though, at first that the Messiah is on a mission to bring encouragement to a small segment of Jewish society. The, 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 only the most down and out uh, of, of, the, of the culture. But that's not what's happening here. This was a promise aimed at Israel after they'd been carried off into exile by the Babylonians. The people suffered in captivity, but they also knew that it was their sin as a people that had landed them there. They had turned their backs on God, despite the warnings of what, would what, what that would result in. And as Jerusalem fell, the people lost everything. They were, they were poor because their land had been taken over. They were brokenhearted because they had faced so much loss. They were captives in a foreign land, and even when they were allowed to return, they did so under the authority of a foreign king. The promise that the Messiah's coming would bring relief. He'd bring freedom. But notice that he would do so primarily through the announcement of a message. That's why it talks about bringing good news. Proclaiming liberty in verse 2. And then proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. That's a reference to a, a unique pr practice in Israel called the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, they would have a national reset. But it was different than the reset that our prime minister has talked about. With the reset of G Jubilee, everyone's debts were forgiven. If you had sold off your land because you'd gone into debt, it was returned to you. If you'd sold yourself into slavery, you were freed. Everyone got a fresh start. They could start over with a clean slate and an equal footing. Can you imagine what it would be like if you had made some bad business decisions and gone into bankruptcy? If you had sold the far family farm and then sold yourself into slavery just to stay alive? Imagine the joy and the relief you'd feel to be free and to have it all returned. Maybe you don't have to imagine. Maybe you can think of some of the mistakes that you've made that have resulted in painful loss. Maybe there are areas of your life that you just wish you could wipe clean. Wouldn't you like to have a jubilee called on, on some of your relationships and have all the dumb things that you've said and done be taken back and forgiven? Wouldn't that be amazing? That was the promise that was given in this passage. That was the good news that the Messiah was sent to proclaim. And the Israelites, they lived with the hope of these promises. They were their lifeline. These promises helped them get out of bed when life just seemed like more than they could handle. But then Jesus came. And he announced that he was the one to whom these promises pointed. In fact, in his first recorded sermon, 
he turned to this very passage in the scroll of Isaiah. He read verses 1 and 2. And when he, when he was finished, it says in Luke 4, verse 20, that he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That was the original mic drop. Barack Obama borrowed that from Jesus. When you read one of the most precious promises in the entire Jewish Bible, a promise that people had been waiting for hundreds of years to see fulfilled, and then you announce that you're the one that they, that, that they point to, you're going to cause some excitement. But Jesus wasn't just all talk. The point of his miracles was to prove that he was, in fact, the one that the scriptures had promised. He brought joy to the poor. He gave hope to the powerless. He healed the sick and fed the hungry. But he also spoke forgiveness to sinners. It was like he ministered a kind of spiritual jubilee. Prostitutes and tax collectors followed him because he offered to wipe the slate clean of anyone who turned to him in repentance and faith. He promised a fresh start with God. And this message of good news has given hope to people ever since. To take that message and to reduce Christmas to lights, food, songs, and family, that's to miss the wonder that started the celebration in the first place. But worse than that, it denies the reality of Christmas to those that it was first promised to. Christmas is the promise of good news for people who can't afford lights and who don't have enough food. Christmas is the promise of hope for people who can't just sing away their problems. And it's for people who aren't able to enjoy perfect family get-togethers that the movies so romanticize. Christmas is the promise of good news brought to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And this is a year when we need to remember that more than ever. But Christmas isn't just the promise of good news. It's also the promise of joy. In verse 2, he speaks of comforting all who mourn. And then he gives three images of that in verse 3. First, he promises to give those who mourn a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. Now, in ancient times, the Jews would put ashes on their head as a sign of mourning or repentance. It was a way of them outwardly expressing their pain and remorse. The promise is that when the Messiah comes, he'll take the ashes from people's heads and replace them with party hats. It's a promise of joy. Then it says he'll give them the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Now, if you were having a special celebration in ancient Israel, you'd often give your gifts oil for their skin. It was a precious commodity, and in a dry, hot climate, it would brighten people's otherwise dry, cracked skin. I, I could use some oil of gladness for my hands right now, or maybe some, some Vaseline of gladness at least. But either way, it's a promise of joy. Finally, he promises to give the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. This completes the look. You've got the hat, the oil. Finally, uh, to cover your body is this garment of praise. 
The, the word for garment here actually describes a wrap or some kind of outer covering. For people who are feeling worn out and beaten down, the promise is that they will be covered in praise. They'll be so filled with wonder and awe at the grace and glory of God that it's like they'll just radiate worship toward God. It's a promise of joy. When Jesus came, there were these repeated expressions of people's joy, many of them right in the Christmas story. So, for instance, when the wise men, when they saw the star, it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. When the angels appeared to the shepherds, they said, fear not, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. It was joy at Jesus' miracles. Joy as people heard the good news. But most of all, joy at Jesus' resurrection. Because it spelled the future hope that there was for the people of God. Christmas declares God is with us. It's a message that God has entered our world to save us. We rejoice that we can have a clean slate with God because of what Jesus did. We can be free from sin's control of our lives because of the freedom he came to bring. If you can hear that and reduce Christmas to turkey and cranberry sauce, then you haven't experienced the joy that Jesus came to bring. But Christmas isn't all joy. And if you've embraced Jesus and you're still feeling great pain this Christmas, you're not alone. When Jesus stood up to read Isaiah 61, he actually stopped reading partway through verse 2. According to Luke's account, Jesus reads to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and then he stops. If you look at Isaiah verse 2, the next phrase adds, and the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus didn't just lose his place. He didn't get tired of reading. He stopped reading deliberately at that phrase. He stopped reading because while he had come to bring good news, the judgment would be left for another day. The promises in, in Isaiah is that there will be a year of the Lord's favor and a day of his vengeance. The Messiah would proclaim a year of forgiveness and then bring a day of judgment. He gives a long period for people to receive his pardon and then those who refuse him will face punishment. Since Christmas, we live in the year of the Lord's favor, but the day of his vengeance is coming. And that creates problems for us. It creates problems because God hasn't yet brought the justice to the world because he's giving every opportunity he can for people to repent. And in the meantime, we experience the joy of this year, the year of the Lord's favor, but also the pain of waiting for God's final justice. Now, John the Baptist experienced this tension. He rejoiced at Christmas, even from within the womb. He identified Jesus as the Lamb of God. But then he was thrown in prison by Herod. And he couldn't figure out why Jesus hadn't set him free. Gave him doubts. In Luke 7, chapter, uh, chapter 7, verse 20, he sent messengers to Jesus and they asked the question, Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, 
the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Those miracles of Jesus' life, they're intended to convince us that it's begun. The year of the Lord's favor is upon us. The time for salvation is here. But Jesus left part of Isaiah's promise for another day. The day of justice hasn't come yet. Now, a lot of children experience something like this at Christmas time. Many families have the tradition of letting their kids open just one present on Christmas Eve. Opening, opening that gift is great, but you know that it isn't the best gift. You open up the present and you see that it's a book or maybe an electric toothbrush or some underwear, and it's good, but it's not exactly everything you'd hoped for. What gives you joy as a child in opening that present is the reality, the time has finally come. Opening up that Christmas Eve gift is your guarantee that Christmas morning is just one sleep away. And in the morning, then come the real gifts. When you put your trust in Jesus, you receive a gift that's more precious than underwear or a toothbrush. And there's joy in knowing that your sins are forgiven, your slate is wiped clean, and you begin a relationship with God. But the greater joy, it comes in realizing that this is only Christmas Eve. And Jesus' gift comes with the promise of an even greater gift of heaven when he returns. As the early followers of Jesus began to grasp this, it filled them with hope and, and an unshakable joy. They were thrown in prison and they sang songs of praise. They were beaten with rods and they continued to declare the good news of Jesus. And tradition tells us that after Judas betrayed Jesus, each of the remaining 11 apostles went on to be martyred for their faith. They could face the worst that this world would bring because they had embraced the good news of Jesus, the message that their sins were wiped clean. The year of the Lord's favor had filled them with joy, and so they could wait for the day of his justice. They could hold on till that day when evil would be punished, when death and sickness would be no more, when this world would be renewed and they would see their Savior face to face. If you've embraced the good news of Jesus' coming, so can you. If you put all your hope in the one who binds up the brokenhearted and brings good news to the poor, then you can have joy knowing that he'll finish all that he started. You can wait for the final day because you can be confident how the story ends. But if your only hope for Christmas is lights, food, songs, and friends, then you don't have what you need to sustain you when the lights dim and the food runs out when songs just don't come to you anymore, when your family isn't near. The real Christmas is the promise of joy. Embrace it by leaning on the Savior who came for us. Now, even if they don't understand it, many people have heard somewhere along the way that Christmas is the promise of good news. And they're not too surprised to hear that Christmas is the promise of joy. Fewer people are clear that Christmas is a promise of a restoration team. The promise of a Messiah that was given to Isaiah spoke as much of what the Messiah's people would do 
as it did of what the Messiah himself would do. Christmas is the promise of a restoration team. Now, as you read down through the opening verses of Isaiah 61, the first three and a half verses describe the good news that the Messiah will proclaim and the joy that he'll bring. But in the second half of verse 3, and continuing into verse 4, we learn why. There we see that he does all of this, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The promise is that embracing this good news and entering into the joy of this year of the Lord's favor results in a people who are made righteous. When people get a new name in the Bible, they have a new identity. Jesus changes his people into a righteous, thriving people. The Hebrew word for oaks here isn't so much referring to a species of tree, but the strength of the tree. Jesus gives his followers resilience and power. And verse 4 describes what that power is given for. It says, They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. It's a picture of a mighty restoration team. The coming of the Messiah was to build a group of people across this globe who would rebuild what was broken. People who would continue his work in bringing good news to the poor, binding up the brokenhearted, were to continue the work that he, that he began until he returns. And since Jesus came, Christians have taken up his cause in sharing the good news and ministering to those who are downcast. But Jesus builds his restoration team unlike any other organization. When you listen, particularly this time of the year, secular appeals, you hear, the, you, you hear that we're supposed to give to the poor and minister to the hurting, but those appeals are mostly about guilt. We're warned to remember how much we have and see how great the needs are. And, and both of those things are true. But that's not how Jesus builds his team. The way that Jesus builds his team is by giving a free gift of life to people who deserve death. That gift of life that Jesus purchased through his own death has made givers out of takers for the last 2,000 years. Because in our natural selves, we want to hold on to our money and focus on ourselves. But when you've been touched by a Savior who gave up his riches and became poor to save us, it changes the way that you see others. In our natural selves, we see people as undeserving. We assume they've reaped what they've sown. But when you've been touched by a Savior who delivered you from the consequences of your own sins, it changes the way you see others. In our natural selves, we worry people will abuse our generosity. But when you've been touched by a Savior who gives grace, even though he knows that many would use it as an excuse to sin, changes how you see people, changes how you see giving. People who believe the promise of good news enter into the promise of joy, and then they become a part of this restoration team, rebuilding the brokenness of this world and carrying on the work Jesus began until he returns. Now, where does that put you in this in this Christmas message. 
Where do you need to respond to Isaiah's promise of a savior, an anointed one? Are you the one feeling poor and brokenhearted? Do you feel the pain of bad decisions or evil people or rough circumstances? Jesus is the savior with good news for you. Through faith in him, you can be free. You can have a new start with a clean slate. You can enter the year of the Lord's favor. Do that by faith this morning. Now, maybe you're entering Christmas this year feeling a little bit like John the Baptist. You've tasted the joy of God's goodness, but now it feels like you're locked up and you're wondering how you ended up here. Remind yourself, Jesus will finish what he started. You've only just opened up your Christmas Eve gift. And it may feel like you're in the middle of the night and you're wondering when the dawn will ever come, but on Christmas morning, he'll make the wait worthwhile. In the meantime, let's be generous the way that Jesus has been generous to us. Let's give of our lives because he gave his life. Let's lift up those who've been knocked down because Jesus lifted us up and we've never gotten back, we'd never have gotten back up without him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is such great news, the great promises that you have given us in Scripture. Help us to rest in them and feed on them, to find strength in them, the way God's people have for hundreds of years. Help us to lay hold, Father, of this great joy that you have proclaimed the great gift that you have given in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we enjoy a spiritual jubilee with all of our sins washed clean before you. A fresh, fresh start that you offer us with you. Help us to see others the way Jesus sees them. Help us to be a part of your work in building up what has been broken down reaching out to those who have been cast down by the circumstances of life. Help us to be a part of offering that same grace that you gave to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I hope today's message has helped you to see Christmas beyond the lights, the food, the songs, and the friends. Receive the good news and joy that Jesus came to bring and continue the work that he began in this world. If you think this is a message that other people need to hear, then help share the link and spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit www.gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.